Hello, and welcome to Akathisia Stories, a podcast co-production of MIST and Chicago's Studio C. MIST, the medication-induced Suicide Prevention and Education Foundation in memory of Stuart Dolan, is a unique nonprofit organization dedicated to honoring the memory of Stuart and other victims of akathisia by raising awareness and educating the public about the dangers of akathisia. MIST aims to ensure that people suffering from akathisia's symptoms are accurately diagnosed so that needless deaths are prevented. The foundation advocates truth and disclosure, honesty in reporting, and legitimate drug trials. On this episode, we hear from author, blogger, researcher, and self-described humanist and humorist Bob Fideman. His eponymously titled blog has focused on drug company and regulatory malfeasance since making its debut in 2006. At the time, Bob, an Englishman living in Birmingham, was taking himself off of Siroxat, a GlaxoSmithKline-produced antidepressant known here in America as Paxil. After making a protracted attempt at tapering off of the drug, he eventually decided to go cold turkey a course of action he strongly advises against. Within 24 hours, I was pretty much in a fetal position, you know, suffering stomach cramps, head zaps, intrusive thoughts. It was pretty bad. It took about three months of absolute torture uh, to get through to the other side. But I, I pretty much knew once I did reach the other side because I was getting all my my empathy for one that was that was coming back so I'd be listening to music that I'd never really listened to before and really focusing on the lyrics so you know my type of music is rock ACDC in particular I started listening to the Dixie Chicks Traveling Soldier and was listening to the lyrics and the story and I was crying and then Martina McBride, Concrete Angel. I was just crying my eyes out at these lyrics. So for the first time in a very long time, I was able to sort of like feel things again, feel emotion again. We'll have Bob's full story in a moment. November 30th is Giving Tuesday. It's a day that inspires generosity to make a positive difference for others. Please consider supporting MIST by making a tax-free donation at mist.co. Your support helps ensure MIST's high-quality programming continues to reach thousands of people across the globe. This includes the Akathisia Stories podcast, public health videos, conference presentations, Akathisia awareness ads, educational materials, and accredited courses. That's mist.co. M-I-S-S-D Bob Fiddeman was born in London in 1964, the youngest of three children. In 1967, his family moved to Birmingham, where he has lived since, though he now splits his time between England and his adopted home in Panama. Bob married in 1987, divorced in 2006, and has three grown children. In 2006, he created the Siroxat Sufferers Stand Up and Be Counted blog, later changing the name to Fitiman blog. 
Bob has met with the UK's Medicines and Healthcare Products Regulatory Agency on a number of occasions, but has now ceased contact with them. He has also been a thorn in the side of drug manufacturer GlaxoSmithKline, reporting on numerous inquests and wrongful death lawsuits brought against the company by bereaved families. In our interview, you'll hear about some of these, including Dolan v. GSK, the 2017 trial that missed founder Wendy Dolan was the plaintiff in. Bob is the author of a 2011 memoir called The Evidence, However, is Clear, The Siroxat Scandal, and has recently finished a science fiction novel called No Other Man. It's about angels, it's about numerology, it's about demons, and it's about love. We spoke over Zoom. So you're known for your work on your blog. Uh, you started it in 2006, and I believe at that time you were on the antidepressant Paxil and struggling to come off of it. So why don't we start by having you talk about that experience? And you had been on the drug for about six years at that point and had decided that you no longer needed it. Yep, correct. Yeah, I was I was prescribed. Uh, it's called Siroxat in the UK. It's called Paxil. Uh, in the States. Uh, it's important that I mention that because um, the reason I actually started blogging um, was because there really wasn't enough information out there about the Siroxat brand name. And it wasn't until I stumbled on an article by an American woman um, about Paxil, which was actually the same drug. That's when the, the floodgates opened. That's when I realized there was thousands of people suffering what I was suffering, which was severe withdrawal uh, on the drug. All I seemed to be getting in uh, searches in the UK was how great it was. Um, and these were mainly the drug company um, websites that I was using. But once I found out the brand name was Paxil in America, I was then able to do searches using that term and stumbled upon all sorts of different stories, lawsuits and uh, forums uh, where people was helping each other trying to get off um, this particular antidepressant. Yeah. And why did you originally go on the medication? I was working for a car company at the time, and I developed osteoarthritis in my hip. Um, so could no longer do the duties that was expected of me. So um, I wanted light duties, you know, to save my hip. In fact, it was the doctor who said you do need light duties. And also uh, an orthopedic consultant said, if you continue doing this, it's going to get worse. The company I worked for at the time wouldn't oblige and they said you've got to continue doing the job so my doctor signed me off work now as a result of that I would still be paid sick pay but then the sick pay ran out and the only way to get it back was by going back to work in the same job but that was causing too much pain so um, they stopped my pay and that's really when the depression kicked in I wasn't able to provide for my family. I was married and had three small kids at the time. They're all grown up now. So that's when the doctor uh, prescribed me this relatively new blockbuster drug called 
uh, Soroxat, he knew nothing about it. I knew nothing about it. The only thing that we both knew was what was said on the packaging, you know, and there was nothing about withdrawal issues and nothing about night sweats and everything else that's associated with it. When you're on these drugs and, you know, I've spoken with hundreds of people over the years and they all pretty much say the same thing. You do lose empathy when you're on them. You, you There's something that it, it just strips you off, you know. Um, but there was no emotion. There was absolutely no emotion from me. And, of course, as the years went on and when I came off it and did the research on it, I found that it, it actually kills empathy. You know, you don't feel any empathy at all. And also survival instinct, which if you fall into a swimming pool, your instinct is to swim back to the surface. Well, when you're on these drugs, um, I believe a lot of the reasons why you get suicides, not just on Paxil, but on the other SSRIs is because it kills the survival instinct. So it's like the, it's like the foot over the edge of the cliff the survival instinct kicks in, so you step back. Well, when you're on these, it doesn't. The survival instinct does not kick in, and not for a lot of people anyway, so they will then take the next next step. And I believe that is uh, one of the main reasons why we're seeing a lot of deaths, um, suicides, if you like to call it that, on, these, uh, on this particular group of medications. Yeah. So as you say, you had an awareness that you were, you know, sort of stripped of your normal empathy. But did you attribute it to the prescription that you were on at the time? No, no, it was really weird because I thought, you know, I just thought, have I become immune to this? Because, you know, the, the newspapers are pretty much full of bad stories, you know and stories like this in particular. And I thought, is it just me getting older and maturing out a little bit? Or is it me just in denial and, and putting stuff like this to the back of my head because I don't want to address it. I don't want to get angry by it, you know? Um, and, and then there was other times when I would get really, really angry while I was on it. And that was out of character as well for me. Um, I, I started suffering with um, noise intolerance. Now, when you've got three kids, they will do random things. They will clap their hands or they will turn the volume up on a, on a, on a uh, video game and just random noises. And these really set me off. It was almost like cymbals crashing. There's no actual papers on it, but when I put a question out to a bunch of people in a support group, a Paxil support group, um, I was really kind of surprised by the answers. They were all pretty much saying the same thing, but this noise intolerance, you know. So did that contribute to your decision then to take yourself off of the medication? Well, the reason I initially came off them, I I, the, the job issue had been resolved. I'd, I'd gone to see um, a lawyer and the lawyer basically told the car company, this is disability discrimination, what you're doing to this man. And it was decided that they um, give me early retirement and give me a very, very small pension. 
and uh, also a lump sum of money. Now, that lump sum of money came in handy because I'd gone into debt during my time off work. So I was able to fix the house, pay the debt off. And um, yeah, the reason I actually went to the doctor and said, I don't think I need this anymore is because these issues had now been resolved. And did you taper off of it? Initially, yeah. Um, initially, my doctor had told me to have a tablet. I was on 40 milligrams a day, which is two 20 milligram uh, tablets. Uh, my doctor had told me to take one and a half tablets a day and then go back to two tablets and keep doing it like that. That didn't work. It just caused me all sorts of problems. And then it was decided that he try the liquid formulation on me, which is a much, you're, you're able to taper much more slowly on that. Um, but even that was uh, too severe. So he just said, well, okay, come down at your own pace. So I decided around about half a milligram a week. I tried different formulations and the only one that I could, that would agree with me, you know, that would stop me getting the zaps and, and the anger issues, because you do get angry when you just suddenly stop uh, an SSRI, uh, was by dropping down uh, half a milligram a week. Now I did that for a total of about 19 months and I got down from 40 milligrams per week to 22 milligrams per week. And I'd had enough. I'd, I'd had enough of this drug having a hold on me, this, this regimen every single day. And so I decided to go cold turkey against my doctor's wishes. And I'd, I'd done all the research on it. I pretty much knew what I was in for. And uh, he just said to me, we were emailing one another. He just said to me, keep in touch because, you know, it can be pretty bad. So I threw the bottles of liquid away. And within 24 hours, I was pretty much in a fetal position, um, you know, suffering stomach cramps, head zaps, intrusive thoughts. Um, it was it was pretty bad. But I, I knew that I had to go through this to get to the other end. Now, I'd never recommend this to anybody. In fact, I'd advise against it. It was just that I pretty much had had enough by that time. You know, I was traveling as well at this time, and I didn't. I was fed up of saying to uh, people at airport what these syringes were for because that's what you get. You get liquid syringes, oral syringes, and you put them in your mouth. There's no actual needles on them. But of course, every time you produce them, eyebrows would be raised. And I was, I, I didn't want to do that anymore. And I thought, you know, I can beat this. And it, it took about three months of absolute torture uh, to get through to the other side. But I, I pretty much knew once I did reach the other side because I was getting all my my empathy for one that was that was coming back so I'd be listening to music that I'd never really listened to before and really focusing on the lyrics so you know my type of music is rock ACDC in particular I started listening to the Dixie Chicks Traveling Soldier and was listening to the lyrics and the story 
and I was crying. And then Martina McBride, Concrete Angel. I was just crying my eyes out at these lyrics. So for the first time in a very long time, I was able to sort of like feel things again, feel emotion again. And I do remember walking over the park and just looking up at the clouds and just hearing birds sing. And, and that, that brought me to tears as well because I'd been in this bubble for six years. I call it the Soroxat bubble, um, where I was just, you know, going through or just trying to focus on getting off the drug and not allowing anything in. What you have to remember is I was put on uh, an antidepressant for work-related issues. There was nothing sort of like mentally wrong with me, you know, apart from the fact that I was frustrated at, at work um, by not allowing me light duties. That's not a mental illness. And a lot of the times, many people are prescribed these drugs for um, life events, you know, they just can't handle something that is currently going on in their life, be it uh, a relationship problem, a split, or a job problem, or debt. Often people are put on these, and all they're designed to do is paper over the cracks. They never get to the root cause. Um, and that might seem a good thing for somebody, because it's great to go to bed at night and not have to worry about mountain debt. Um, and again, that does happen when you're on these drugs. You tend not to care about anything, including um, the problems you may have been prescribed the drug for. So in that sense, they work, but it's not getting to the, to the root problem, you know. So at what point did you reach out to the British regulator for help? Yeah, the MHRA, which is the uh, uh, the British equivalent of the FDA. Um, I I think I may have been off. I, I may have done the withdrawal and the cold turkey by the time I got in touch with them. I first got in touch with them pretty much when I started writing the blog, so 2006. And I thought, oh, well, these are the people to get in touch with. I hadn't heard of them, didn't know of them up until this point. And so when I wrote to them, just asking for some advice on um, this particular SSRI, yeah, I was getting stonewalled. And, and what do you mean by advice? Uh, I just wanted to know if anybody else was suffering uh, withdrawal in the UK, because I'd already seen that people in America was. And I was kind of naive back then. I thought, well, maybe the tablets made different over there. Maybe Paxil, although it's got the same brand name and generic name, paroxetine, maybe it's made different. But of course, you know, that was when I was just starting out on it. And yeah, some of the responses I was getting was um, they really wasn't giving me anything. And so I'd keep asking the same question over and over. And I think they ended up calling me vexatious. And I had to Google the word vexatious. I didn't know what it meant. And I thought, God, who am I dealing with here? 
they're here to serve, serve me. You. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it was at that point I've I've always loved writing. I you know I used to I used to write at work and I used to write little comedy sketches, you know, for the the management and the workers, and you know they used to get down pretty well. So I thought, okay, this seems like management here, sort of like looking down on a poor little patient. So I kind of took that at each other. So I'm kind of really sarcastic and I lampooned them a little bit, you know, and. It was it was then I thought, well, this is the way to go because it was good release for me. Um, it was helping other people. People were saying good on you, going after them. And then they was actually writing back to me because they were seeing what I was writing. And then they tried to be a little bit more open with me without actually opening all of their doors and giving me the truth. So that went on and on for, for quite a while until I made demands of them and said, I, I want to see your CEO. I want to see him face to face. I want to sit down with him, tell him my story and tell him that there's other people out there that are suffering in the same way that I did. And I don't want that to happen. And eventually I got that meeting. So what I've gathered is that you had already started the blog at that point, and it was more a blog that was documenting your experiences. But then it sort of took on a new twist and you became more of a you know, a sarcastic kind of writer where you were lampooning this government agency. Yeah, well, it was it was that. And then it, it completely changed for me only a couple of years in. I think it was 2008. Um, at the time, it was all about me. It was all about I want to know why you granted a license to this drug and it caused me all these problems. And then I heard a story about um, Sarah Carlin, a young girl from Canada who actually killed herself uh, on this very same drug. And I followed her story with interest in the Canadian press and then reached out to her father and uh, he, he got back in touch with me and we just started talking. And I realized then that, my God, kids are on this. And with all the problems that I had on it, and I thought, how can a young kid go through what I went through? This is, this is terrible. And then I learned that they're not recommended for children, but doctors prescribe them anyway, the off-label prescribing thing. And I thought, well, this is really, really wrong. There was lots of things I was learning as I was going along, you know. And then, yeah, and then that's when I pretty much um, became a hard ass on it, you know. Once I realised this was killing kids, more and more people would start getting in touch with me after reading the articles I wrote on Sarah. Um and I thought, you know, something really needs to be, I need to sit down with these people. Um, I, I knew that I wasn't going to be able to change the world or anything like that. Um, but I needed them to know how I felt and that this was happening on a huge scale all over the world. Yeah. So you got interested in this case to the extent that you started covering sort of day by day the, the developments of the inquest, and you were providing sort of an angle on the coverage that wasn't really found in the commercial press. Yeah, I was speaking with um, Sarah's father um, every night, and it was exhausting for Sarah's dad, Neil, and his wife, Rhonda, because they were going to the, the coroner's court 
every day. And, you know, they didn't expect the coroner's court to be full of a team of GlaxoSmithKline's lawyers. This is just a coroner's court. This wasn't a trial. Um, so it was really, really exhausting for them. And then he was telling me about the witnesses that was giving evidence there, you know. And then I'd researched the witnesses and um, those that was in favour of Paxil saying it was a great drug for children. I'd researched them and then I'd exposed them. I thought, you can't just get up there in front of a family and tell this family how wonderful this drug is when it's killed their daughter and remember she should never have been given it it was prescribed off label you shouldn't be telling uh, uh putting a family through this so i'm gonna give you a taste of your own medicine and i'd again i would find stuff on them that they'd done in the past and i'd put that up with the day's events and that was you know to support neil and to support Rhonda. And um, really for this terrible injustice of this girl that took a rope into her basement, tied it around her neck and, and killed herself. And she would not have done that if she hadn't have been on this drug. It was the drug that made her do it, despite what GlaxoSmithKline say. Now, this wasn't uh, a trial, the coroner's inquest. It was to try and determine uh, what do we need to do about this drug in this particular age group. And in fact, when it was all done, I think they made something like 14 recommendations to Health Canada, uh, which is the Canadian equivalent of the FDA. And... Uh, to this day, not one of them recommendations has been implemented. I hate the word, or I hate it when I see the word recommendations, because it means nothing. Recommendations mean nothing. You can say, yeah, okay, I accept that, and then you can just do nothing about it, you know. You can't, suicidal or suicidal thoughts, akathisia, for example, can, can just be switched on like that. Um, and it can be switched off again. You can have an intrusive thought the one minute, and then the next minute it goes away. Or you can have an intrusive thought, and then you carry out that intrusive thought. You, it's impossible to monitor that. So just by saying, making a recommendation that, you know, there should be more monitoring, it, it, it doesn't work like that in uh, when you're taking these drugs. Like I say, it, it's just a a momentary thing where you can flip you can't you can't stop somebody um from taking that step over the edge you can't do it virtually impossible yeah so during the inquest and the discovery that was involved you know in this case was there any mention of akathisia and, and was that a term that you knew at that time no uh to both I, I, there was no mention of akathisia at Sarah's inquest, um, and there was no, uh, and I wouldn't have known what the word meant. I, I'd heard it before, but it was just described as um, feeling like you're, you're, you've got spiders under your skin. Now, I'd experienced something like that during my time on uh, Soroxac um, and a lot of pacing up and down. 
Um, but I never knew what it actually was. And I didn't until some years later when the word came out again. And that's because now I was a proper researcher, if you like. I thought, well, I need to I need to know what this is. And that's when I kind of delved into it and thought, ah, maybe that's maybe that's what I had when I was pacing up and down. And, and when you were experiencing those symptoms, uh, was that during the regular course of your taking the medication or was that only during the withdrawal? Withdrawal. Okay. Yeah, it was during the withdrawal. Uh, and of course, if you skipped a dose um, during withdrawal, um, if you happen to be away or something like that, you know, with friends and you didn't bring your tablets or your liquid with you, um, you get really jumpy and edgy. And there have been occasions when um, I'd gone to the pharmacy and they was out, they had none left. And so as it got worse and worse and worse, and when I was withdrawing and think I need my drugs now, I'd go and pick the prescription up and said to myself, if they haven't got them in the pharmacy, I'll probably trash the pharmacy. That's how bad it was. I, I would make sure that if they didn't have them there, then somebody would have to drive in a car to bring them to me while I waited in the shop. And I thought, if they don't do that, I'll trash the shop. Now, this is, this is what Soroxet does to you. It makes you really, really angry, and you don't care about the consequences. You need your fix. You really need your fix. A lot of people don't, you know, don't like, don't like saying it, it's uh, an addictive drug. Yeah, and then the Dolan case, which you also covered for your blog, yeah. also involved GSK and Paxil. Yeah, what a surprise, eh? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Um, well, I'd heard about um, when uh, Wendy Dolan uh, again. That was just through. I was always on top of things, you know, and so I'd heard about the. Uh, Stuart um, killing himself and I knew that Wendy was going after them and I think I did write something uh, prior to ever meeting Wendy or prior ever to reaching out to her I just started you know going for it and go here we go again here's another one and of course it was the job of Wendy's attorneys to take them through um, a lot of pharmaceutical terms and a lot of stuff about clinical trials. So they um, painstakingly went through exactly what akathisia means and how GlaxoSmithKline in clinical trials would hide any instances of akathisia and would often code it using something completely different. So if a person's in a clinical trial suffered akathisia, the, the reporters of that clinical trial would often write something else down when they really should have wrote, this person is suffering from akathisia. But GSK have got a history of doing that, as have other drug companies. They, they recode, they recode um, something to keep it away from the regulators, the FDA, and um, for people when they're going through disclosure in litigation but lawyers are, are, are way too clever for them now you know they left a paper trail and 
uh, as you know, they've been sued many, many times because of it. So, yeah, I reported on it every day, which kind of gave people uh, a window into it, those that couldn't be there. And, and, and again, you know, that, that got an awful amount of coverage, um, you know, people sharing it on Twitter and Facebook and stuff and places like Mad in America, you know. And, of course, I, because I'm the, I'm the guy that writes sarcastically, I, I didn't let up, at, you know, I didn't, I don't want to be a professional journalist and not add certain things. I want to, I want to tell it how it is. And so I did during the trial, you know, I would kind of mock their performance, the GSK attorney's performance. And I don't care what GSK think about it. You know, they'll always think bad of me. I had a whistleblower come up to me in California. I was out there for an award show. And after the show, this woman came up to me and she says, hey, Bob Fiderman. And I said, yeah. And she said, I'm part of a whistleblowing lawsuit. And I can't really go into that. But I can tell you, because I used to work at GSK, that um, every time you write something about them, they cringe. Yeah, that made me feel good. That's payment for me, you know. And you mentioned the book you wrote, which tells the story of your experience on and with Siroxat. Yeah. How did that come to be? Uh, why did you decide to write that book? I wrote it because I wanted the. There was always the fear hanging over me that I could be shut down um, at some point. They could shut the blog down. They're so powerful that they could do that. And I thought, well, I need this in print. So I uh, basically went back to when I started the blog and I also went back to a bunch of emails that I had when I came off cold turkey uh, because I was emailing my doctor. And I thought, you know, there's a pretty good book here. Not only can it help people um, realize that they're not crazy, this is a drug thing. It may also help people if I explain what I did, how I tapered. It may help people and doctors um, come off the drug without any problems. And I kind of stress throughout the book, do not go cold turkey, even though I explain that's what happened to me. If you'd like to find out more and get the best information about this important topic of akathisia, the MIST website is a great place to start. If you go to our website, the section that says, what is akathisia, you will see the two MIST videos, as well as we have an educational PDF that you can print off. We also are on Facebook and Twitter. If you like this podcast, learn more about akathisia and just send it to your contacts. And this is the way we spread our message. And I hope that people will really look at the signs and symptoms of akathisia. They're listed in the videos, listed on the website. That's MIST founder, Wendy Dolan. You've been listening to the Akathisia Stories podcast. If you'd like to share your own story for this podcast, please email studio.c.chicago at gmail.com, and please share this podcast and subscribe. I'm Andy Miles, and I'd like to thank Bob Fideman for his time and candor, and I'd like to thank you for listening.